When I was maybe seven or eight, uh, I participated in my church's Christmas pageant. Uh, And I know many of you have done this as kids, and even if you didn't when you were a kid, no doubt you've watched your own kids participate in these Christmas pageants. And my role was to be the star of Bethlehem. Uh, So what I did was I had to walk across the stage carrying a star, a styrofoam star, on a tall stick while the choir sang, We Three Kings. And behind me followed the kids who were playing the three wise men. So we were supposed to slowly make our way across the stage as the song was going from one side to the other. That was our whole job, was to walk across the stage in imitation of the wise men following the star. Uh, Right when we got about to the midpoint of the stage, though, there was a bit of a twist in the story. Uh, My big star flew off of its stick and uh, fell down to the uh, front row where it hit the choir director's music stand and knocked it over, tumbling all of his music on the floor. And uh, I was found standing now in the middle of the stage with a stick, but no star. As the choir is singing westward, leading, still proceeding, uh, I realized we were not proceeding anywhere until I got my star back. So uh, I stood in the middle of the stage, not saying or doing anything, just waiting. And uh, the choir director gathered his music and he picked up the star, he handed it to me, I put it back on top of the stick and we finished our procession across the stage. We had to move a little faster uh, in order to get across before the end of the song. Uh, In the years since, as I've thought about that, I thought, you know, from one perspective, it really could be considered somewhat of a cataclysmic omen that the star of Bethlehem was falling from the sky and wreaking havoc on the earth. Uh, But nobody seemed to mind that. Uh, In fact, after the performance, I had a number of people come up and say things like, that was the highlight of the show. I loved it. It was so fun. People enjoyed it. And here's my theory. I think people were just so glad that something different happened in one of these Christmas pageants, that they loved it. Because anybody who's been to these things knows it's, it's really the same stuff over and over, isn't it? You've got the same songs. You've got the same characters. You've got Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the, some kid dressed as a sheep. You've got the wise men. You've got the star. It's all the same. And so it, over time, we can really become somewhat immune to the power of the Christmas story because every year we hear it over and over and over and over again. And so in the midst of hearing all the same things over again, uh, it's hard for us to focus on the unique power of the Christmas story. We also get distracted certainly by shopping for presents, by thinking about how we're going to pay for presents, by thinking about all the arrangements of our family coming and going. We get distracted. And so what I want to do this morning as we look at Luke chapter 2 is try to recover a bit of that freshness of the story. Uh, I don't think that there is any passage in the gospel narratives about Jesus' birth that uh, captures the essence of the joy and import of Christ's birth more than Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Uh, Because to the shepherds who heard the message of Jesus, this was anything but mundane. Uh, To those who heard the message from the shepherds, this was anything but ordinary. The shepherds heard a message that the king of Israel, the king of the world, was going to be born and was born in Bethlehem. 
And we talked about last week how Bethlehem was not a big place, not a special place. It was just an ordinary little town. And so here these shepherds hear this unbelievable message standing out in a field from these angels who shine so much light that it scares them to death. And I promise you that the shepherds saw nothing ordinary about that event. And for the rest of their lives, it marked them and changed them. And I believe for the rest of their lives, these shepherds kept proclaiming what they had seen and what they had heard. And their responses of joy then trigger other people's responses of amazement and joy and worship. All right, so as we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, here's what I, I want to challenge us to do. It is, it is uh, this, very simply. Let's see if we can... Oh, there we go. This Christmas, I want to challenge us to respond to Christ's birth like those who heard about it first. Respond to Christ's birth like those who heard about it first. I would challenge us to recognize that there, there really is nothing at all mundane about the Christmas story. In fact, the reason we continue to sing songs about it and talk about it and celebrate it after 2,000 years is because this is a pivotal event in the history of creation. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Savior of the world became a baby in a manger in a tiny town like Bethlehem and then grew to die for our sin, to rise again so we can have eternal life. And the knowledge that death has no sting and no victory for the people of Jesus Christ. And so for the shepherds who celebrated on that first Christmas, it was anything but mundane. And so I'd encourage us this Christmas, respond to Christ's birth like those who heard about it first. We're going to look at a variety of responses from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 20. But before we get into those responses, I want to kind of set the scene and look at the announcement itself. So Luke 2, if you've got a Bible, we're going to start in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. If you have a King James here, it says they were sore afraid. I love that wording. They were so afraid, it hurt. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So out in the field near Bethlehem, there's these shepherds just kind of doing what shepherds do. They're watching the sheep. Maybe they're drifting off to sleep, some of them. And all of a sudden the night sky is lit up and the angel of the Lord appears And they're scared to death. And he says, look, don't be afraid. And here's why. I bring you good news. The Greek word there for good news is euangelizo, which is where we get the term evangelism. That is a word that means to bring good news. When we share the gospel, we are bringing good news. This is perhaps the first time in the gospels that we see an evangelist. And the evangelist is the angel himself. 
And he says, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. That today in the city of David, a Savior has been born and he is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. And guess what? You'll find him lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths. And then all of the host of heaven gathers with this angel as the night sky is lit up. And they begin to sing glory to God in the highest. And so all of a sudden these shepherds who are just kind of having a normal night are on the receiving end of an announcement that not only changes their night, but it changes the world. Right? And, and I, I read this and I think, but, but why these guys? Right? Why these shepherds? Uh, it seems like an odd choice. I mean, why not go to Herod or go to Caesar or go to somebody important? I mean, shepherds are kind of on the lower rung of the social and economic strata in the first century. So why go to shepherds? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One is simply what we talked about last week, that God delights to do extraordinary things through ordinary people in ordinary places. Nobody more ordinary than a shepherd. But also, I think they appear to shepherds for another reason. That is because the theme of the shepherd is interwoven with prophecies about the Messiah. Right, Because who else in Israel's history was a shepherd who was a king? King David, who was born in Bethlehem. And as you read through some of the prophecies about the Messiah uh, that are in the Old Testament, you see this theme of the shepherd emerge. Look at Micah chapter 5 for a moment. If you guys don't mind, see if you can advance back there to Micah chapter 5. It should be on the next slide. Verse 4. There we go. And he, that is the Messiah, will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. This is right after, of course, Micah 5, 2, where Micah says that the king will be born in Bethlehem. And he says that king will arise and do what? He will shepherd his flock, right? In the pattern of David, he will be a great shepherd who shepherds not only sheep, but actually the people of Israel. Isaiah chapter 40, like a shepherd... He will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The Messiah would be one who, like a shepherd, gathered the people together and led them to safety and salvation and peace from their enemies. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. So the angel comes and says, hey, you guys are ordinary shepherds. I want to invite you to come and meet the greatest shepherd in all of history. He's just been born in Bethlehem, just a few miles away. And so you have this beautiful scene where shepherds, ordinary shepherds, get to go and see the good shepherd and celebrate the coming of the Messiah into the world. And so they get this wonderful announcement that the king of Israel descended from David, born in Bethlehem, who will arise to be the great shepherd, not only of Israel, but of all the world. He's been born tonight. And so what happens after they receive this message is they respond with joy and with focus and with proclamation because they recognized the import of this message, that it was a message that would change their lives and change the world because the Savior had come. All right, so let's look for a few minutes then this morning 
at the variety of responses we see in verses 15 to 20. Start in verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The first response is this, focus activity. So here's what happens. After this announcement, the shepherds immediately say, look, let us go directly to Bethlehem. We're not gonna pass go. We're not gonna collect $200. We are going straight to Bethlehem because we wanna see what has happened. Now, I I wanna make this point. When I first read this passage, uh, my tendency is to think, well, they're going to confirm what the angel said, right? Maybe they don't quite believe that he's actually been born there. And so they say, you know, we need to go and verify, right? But as you read the passage, that's really not why they go to Bethlehem. There's no indication that they don't believe what the angel said 100%. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, right? You would be pretty foolish to disbelieve a message that you just heard the host of heaven singing out as they appeared to you in glorious light. Right, so why do they go? They go because they recognize that even though they have sheep in the field, even though they have jobs, nothing at this moment is more important than being a part of what God is doing. Nothing at that moment is more important than going to see Jesus. And so they apparently drop whatever they're doing. They leave the sheep either by themselves or maybe they have like a shepherd intern or something. They leave them with and they're like, Josiah, you've been promoted. You're chief shepherd for the next couple hours. And they take off and they go to Bethlehem to see this baby because they want to be a part of history. I don't know if you've ever gone to an event where you said, you know what? I just want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of the history. How many of you a couple of years ago went to watch them demolish the west side of Kyle Field? My family went out there, we brought uh, lawn chairs and we sat out there. Now, it's not because we didn't believe that it was going to happen. We could have watched it on YouTube later, but someday I want to tell my grandkids that I watched it fall down. I don't know why. I just wanted to be there. Uh, When I was in junior high, I went and I watched an NBA game between the Dallas Mavericks and the Chicago Bulls. Now, I'm not even a big basketball fan or a big NBA fan. Well, why did I go? Because at that time, uh, Michael Jordan was still playing for the Bulls and I just wanted to go and be able to say that I saw Michael Jordan play in person when he was still playing, right? And the Mavs were terrible. Nobody really actually went to Mavs games that year except those who wanted to see them play the Bulls, right? I think Michael Jordan scored like 4,000 points that night against the Mavericks, but why did I go? Not because I didn't believe he could do it or win. I just wanted to be a part of something that I viewed as significant and historical. This is why the shepherds focus all their energy and attention and say, we got to go. We don't want to be the people that decided to say, you know what? We've got sheep. We've got stuff to do. We've got other things going on. We want to be the people who drop what we're doing and run to the side of Jesus to see what the angel is talking about. And as I read that, I can't help but wonder if at Christmas time, all too often our activity lacks that type of focus. That we do everything else except focus on Jesus Christ. And the other things we're doing aren't necessarily bad things, right? We're making arrangements, we're buying presents, 
we're attending events, we're helping the kids finish school, we're trying to finish our finals, and we've got all of this activity going on. But I wonder if it's possible for us in certain ways to focus our activity and say, you know what, for at least a few minutes each day, I'm going to focus my mind and heart and the minds and hearts of my family on Jesus Christ. I know for my family over the last week or so, uh, we've uh, taken time at the end of the day to read a short devotional, and the kids have a little tree called a Jesse tree in their room, and we hang ornaments on that tree each night that correspond with certain elements of the Christmas story, so that even in the midst of all of the busyness, all the chaos, we take a few moments to say, you know what, we're going to focus our activity on Jesus Christ, because that is why Christmas exists. It never occurred to the shepherds to do anything else. And, and, and if you feel scattered, I would encourage you, find some way that you can focus your heart and mind on Jesus. Maybe you need to play some traditional Christmas music that allows you to think of the story of Jesus, or maybe some more modern Christmas music that allows you to think about Him in a new way. Maybe find a devotional you can read with your family. Find some way that you can say, we want to focus our activity on celebrating Jesus. So that's the first response is this focused activity. Now look at verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So the second big response is this, joyful proclamation. Uh, These shepherds go out and after they see Jesus, they say, okay, we're going to go tell everybody. They go tell the whole town. Now remember, Bethlehem's not that big, so it probably doesn't take all that long to run around and they tell everybody they can find, look, this is what has happened here. And what strikes me when I read this is their joy is so great that they don't even have to pause to go, you know, we should do this because evangelism is the right thing to do. They don't go to an evangelism seminar, right? Ten ways to tell Bethlehem about the Messiah. They don't do any of that. And I'm not knocking those types of seminars because I've been to them, I've benefited from them, I've helped even teach them. But what I see is that their joy is so great that it never even occurs to them not to say anything. They just run around town and they say, we got to tell everybody. Everybody wants to know that the Messiah has been born in our town. And I think often we miss the link between joy and proclamation when it comes to Jesus. I think we often catch that link in other areas of our life. Some of you will remember earlier this year when all of the Bluebell ice cream had to be pulled off the shelves. Right? And we mourned because we couldn't get it. But then a couple months later, what happened? They began putting it back on the shelves. And I get on Facebook and I see all of my friends rejoice. We can get Bluebell again, right? People taking pictures of themselves with cartons of ice cream, right? With full grocery carts of ice cream. People taking pictures of their family eating multiple half gallons of ice cream at a sitting and telling their friends, you have to join us, but bring your own ice cream, right? That's right. <laughs> because there's this connection between joy and proclamation. We have to tell about what we love. That's exactly what the shepherds do. I can't think of any better time of year to proclaim the message that the Messiah has come. 
this time of year, maybe more than any other time of year, people that you meet are open to conversation. They feel happy because the weather is cooler. They feel happy because it's Christmas time. They, they feel happy and desirous of talking to people, even people they've never met. In fact, I walked into a pizza place last night with our daughter, Abigail, to pick up some pizza. And when I walked in, the clerk began to talk to me. Somehow he, he actually knew my name, uh, maybe because we go in there a lot. I'm not really sure. But he, he, he goes, I know who you are. I know your order. He pulled it up and he goes, your daughter is beautiful. He goes, let me talk to you about my daughter. Pulls up a picture. He goes, I just had a daughter. And he starts to talk to me. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure if at other times of the year people are that eager to talk to strangers at a pizza place. But people feel happy and they're ready to talk. And they're ready to engage. And so what better time of year for us to exude the joy of Jesus Christ and to say, what an opportunity for me to develop connections with those in our community so they can hear the greatest news of all. The news that the Savior has come. And so when we wish people a Merry Christmas, we also have an opportunity as we get to know people to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what the shepherds do. I would encourage you, as you go throughout your routine, as you shop for presents, as you pick up food, as you interact with your neighbors, pray that God will give you opportunities to tell the good news. Because it never occurred to the shepherds not to do it because of how wonderful the message was. So focused activity, joyful proclamation. Look at verse 18. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The third response we see is actually a response to the shepherds' response, and that is extraordinary amazement. Extraordinary amazement. Uh, Literally here, all who heard it wondered. They're extremely impressed is what this word means, or uh, maybe even disturbed. But in this case, it is they are in awe of the message. Everybody who hears it goes, you have to be kidding me. The Messiah is born here. Some may believe it, some may disbelieve it, but people are amazed at the power of this message. Remember, we talked about this last week. It would have been somewhat remarkable to them that the king would be born in Bethlehem. And so they're amazed. And they marvel at it because the shepherds exude so much joy in this message. I imagine people thinking if they are so joyful, if they are so certain, maybe it's true. And I imagine that there were others who found their way to that manger as a result of the shepherd's testimony because this was such a remarkable event for such a small community. Uh, Some of you may remember, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, or so that uh, it, was in, it was in all the news and it was, you know, some of that celebrity gossip, but people read it anyway and, and I read it, but, you know, Lyle Lovett and Julia Roberts were married, right? And at some point during their marriage, uh, I was in my dorm room, and this was before Facebook or social media, and uh, people came down the hall and they said, guess what? We were just at the mall and we saw Julia Roberts at the College Station Mall, right? And, and I remember weighing, should I get in the car and go? right? But by the time I get there, they may be gone, right? It was such a remarkable event. I mean, you know, like I think the local news wrote it up just that they were here in College Station. I'd imagine that's how people feel, except to an even greater degree. 
when they hear these shepherds say, no, I mean it. The king is born in Bethlehem. And in all of our hearing of the story, I wonder if we've lost our sense of wonder that this is a life-changing, world-altering event. And it ought to be not only for those shepherds, but for everybody who encounters the message. It's It's hard to shock us. It's hard to impress us often in a very technological age where everything changes uh, multiple times a year and we have new technology and we have all of these new ways of engaging the world. When I uh, first put together some of the thoughts for this sermon several years ago, I wrote down, it's hard for us to marvel when we have things like iPods. (laughs) How many of you have an iPod? They've gone the way of the dodo bird for the most part. Right, Because we have phones that are mixed with what an iPod used to do, mixed with what a computer used to do. And so we have all of this stuff that impresses us, and then it doesn't impress us anymore. And so our sense of wonder can get lost. And so my, my exhortation for all of us this Christmas is to recover that sense of wonder. Right? Spend some time with somebody who just recently believed in Jesus Christ. And hear their story. And allow it to have an impact on your heart. Sing some new songs. Read a a portion of scripture that you're not really familiar with. That talks about God's character and the message of Jesus in a way perhaps you haven't thought about it in some time. And allow your heart and mind to recapture the wonder of the word becoming flesh. So focused activity, joyful proclamation, extraordinary amazement. Verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Fourth response we see is this, quiet contemplation. I I love verse 19. Mary sees all this activity around her, all this joy, all this amazement, all of this proclamation. And it says, but what Mary did is she kept it in her heart and she thought about it. It's not that Mary lacked joy. Mary was probably very tired at this moment. But Mary said, I'm going to take a moment and think about what God has done. It reminds me a little bit of another Mary we see in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. You remember that great story of Jesus visiting the home of Mary and Martha. You remember Martha is preparing for the meal. And she's doing all of these preparations. And there's Mary, different Mary from the one we see here in Luke 2. There's another Mary. And she's just simply sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus. And Martha, her sister, says, Master, why don't you tell her to help me? A very natural response. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Right? If Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. Martha, Martha. You're worried and distracted by a whole lot of things. But just one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better part. She chose to sit at my feet and contemplate who I am and what I'm saying. And here in Luke chapter 2, I think we see the mother of Jesus do something very similar. She's overwhelmed, I believe, by the privilege and the joy of being a part of this moment. And she sees who this child is. Right? And like any mother, she, she takes it into her heart and she ponders it and she quietly rejoices. And as I look at Mary, I think, do we 
also take time to quietly ponder and contemplate Jesus Christ in the middle of all of this busyness. To take a few moments at the beginning of your day or at the end of your day or throughout your day to read his word, to pray, perhaps to journal, but to invest time saying, I'm going to ponder in my mind and heart who he is and what he's done so that as I move into the busyness of my life, my heart and mind are first and foremost captured by Jesus Christ. Imagine that you're throwing a birthday party for one of your kids. And, and you've got so many preparations to make. Uh, anybody who has thrown a child's birthday party knows that it's, it's hectic and it's chaotic and there's things to buy and things to set up. Imagine you're in the midst of all those preparations in your home and then the birthday child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, can we sit down together and talk? And you say, I don't have time for you. It's your birthday, right? And you move on with all the preparations. If we're honest, some of us may have actually done that before, right? And it sounds terrible to say it, but I think often in the midst of all of this busyness over Jesus' birthday, that's what we do, isn't it? I don't have time for the word of God today. I don't have time for prayer today. I don't have time for worship today. I've got so many Christmas preparations to take care of. And that convicts me deeply to say in the midst of this season, am I taking time to worship the one around whom all of this season and all of the universe revolves? So we have focused activity, joyful proclamation, extraordinary amazement, quiet contemplation, and then lastly, corporate worship. Look at verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. They went back and they they sang. They went home singing and praising. One of the great things about this time of year is we get to sing songs about the birth of Jesus. We get to rejoice at the birth of Jesus in a way that we don't at any other time of the year. And I would encourage us throughout the week, not just here, Be in worship. Be in worship with your family, with your friends. Be in worship in song. One of the great things, I think, about the era in which we do live is that we have technology where in my car I can worship. I can turn on Christmas music or the reading of Scripture and I can worship God as I drive or as I run or as I am doing the dishes or cooking dinner or whatever it may be. And so we have the opportunity to spend time worshiping him. I'm going to actually recommend to you this morning one of my favorite Christmas albums that it's it's non-traditional Christmas music, but I love it and it leads me to a place of worship every year. So it's called Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, The artist is Andrew Peterson and there are other artists on the album as well, but he tells the story of the coming of Jesus beginning in the Old Testament, moving all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ. So one of the things I love to do as I drive or as I'm in my home is I just turn it on and I sing the story of Jesus Christ to worship. And I sing sometimes with my kids, with my wife, with my family as we worship the word made flesh. As we close this morning then, we're going to take an opportunity to close and worship. Trey's going to come back 
Still in here, Trey? There you are. Oh, wow. Okay, it's back there. Trey's going to come back and lead us in, O come all ye faithful. And, and the, the exhortation for us is as we read Luke 2, to see it with fresh eyes again. And then to respond and say, praise God who gave Jesus so we can have eternal life. So all who trust in him can have eternal life. If you're, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, that's, that's ultimately the beauty of Christmas. Is that the baby became a man who died for your sins and mine. And after three days rose from the dead. So death will not win. Sin will not win. And the gap between us and God has been closed and all who trust in him can have eternal life. And so we worship this morning as we come before the one who entered our world to save us. Mm -hmm.